This is another episode of the Interpressure Outdoors podcast. This episode is brought to you by our partners, Sportsman Shield, a durable outdoor gal that makes Steve's believe your trail camera has a GPS tracking device. Hunt more, worry less, Sportsman Shield. Go on their website when you check out. Make sure you use offer code UPOutdoors20 at checkout for 20% off your order. Capital U, capital P, capital O, and Outdoors20 at checkout for 20% off. And I think they're actually got some other pretty good sales going on right now. Uh, and they, they offer not only for your trail camera, but your tree stand as well. So not just me tonight. I got Briar. We were here together a minute ago, face-to-face, ready to record. And then we had uh, some of this crap from Cristo Bowl. Where did they come up with that name? I don't know, man. I, <laughs> I don't even know if I'm saying it right. I, I I've seen it, and I'm like, I, I don't I don't know how you pronounce that. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a crazy hurricane season this year. Well, already getting one. Well, dude, this hmm. this we're on. Uh, I think they're already on their fourth name storm now. Hmm. Another one outside of Crystal Bowl out there somewhere. We're only what's today. This June sixth, D-Day. You're right. <laughs> D-Day. Six days in the hurricane season. Man, see, you know, I, that makes me wonder, man. It's going to, according to the South Florida uh, deer study they did, uh, when, it, when they had periods that were really wet, I guess that's um, a, a higher time for predators. They had a lot more predation on on whitetail I was, when the landscape was wet. I was listening to that too. I know what you're referring. Yeah, to. they were equating that to equating that to deer being pushed pushed together closer together on higher ground, less spread out. Yeah, which that's a different dive for a different day. I wonder what this is going to do for our duck season. You know, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Uh, we've got. All this water, got to go somewhere. Yeah. So. Duck season is a ways off, so we'll have to see what the tail end of hurricane season really looks mm-hmm. like. If we if we get steady rain to the whole thing, then we may have some pretty bad flooding down here. It just makes it harder for us to find ducks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, not like they were easy to find in the first place. Yeah. But... Well, I had something interesting happen this past couple of weeks. As you know, uh, my my fly rod, the tip broke off my fly rod. And thank goodness I had the gear guard on both the rod and the reel. This time? This time, yeah. The, before, I just had it on the rod, and then my reel broke. So I went, got another reel, reel got the gear guard on it, and then I ended up... Uh, replacing the reel, getting a whole different reel. This time I got one that was has all seal bearings in it. It's all machined aluminum instead of cast. So I think it ended up a little bit better. But the point being is sometimes it's better to buy something that's a little bit more expensive the first time than having to go back and get it three times. What's the price difference? Um, about $100. About $100 price difference? Mm, yeah. So the one reel was how much? 
the less expensive reel was fifty dollars, and the other one's about one hundred and fifty, roughly. Did your gear guard help you with any of that cost? Yeah, uh, the cost it because that that gear guard from Bass Pro Shop, you get asked if you want to buy the gear guard. I would recommend buying it because, like I said, I went in there, I had a problem with the rod. No questions asked, and they're like, "Oh yeah, well, by the way, if you want to go ahead and do the reel, since it's got some a little bit of minor damage, we can go ahead and do the reel too." So, no questions. They're like, "All right, let's type it up." So that gear guard's a pretty good thing. Good, good deal. Hmm. I haven't had anything interesting going on. Just work and weather and uh, yeah, nothing special. And but the, but the only thing I got other thing I have is, is looking into dogs. But taking advantage, that, I took advantage of that sale. Natural Gears got going on, got me a jacket. I yeah. for a whole for a much more affordable price than what it was listed at. Yeah, that was that was a pretty good deal. And Forty. I probably would have jumped on it as well, but I ended up, and I was going to get the the membership to Ducks Unlimited either way, but I figured. The money would have gone to a little bit, something a little bit better than something I really don't need. Because I have plenty of jackets. I just bought like 50% off waterproof jacket not that long before. So I really didn't need it. It was more of a want. I figured my money would have been better to go into that Ducks Unlimited membership. And it just so happens that it was buy one, get one free. <laughs> those, those, those organizations are really struggling right now because mm-hmm. this is that time of year when they would have been holding those banquets and... Mm-hmm. Uh, those big fundraising events and due to this coronavirus crap, uh, they can't do that. So, well, DU's been doing online auctions. I have seen that. So, did you get the email about that? Because I know you were my free one. A free one. Did you get an email about uh, from Ducks Unlimited about the online auctions? I got a couple of them. I definitely did. Okay, good. So, we're always geared towards conservation. That's what we try to keep in mind here. So this week, our episode is going to be, uh, we're going to go over the, the North American model for wildlife conservation. Um, and that was, the North American model uh, really wasn't written all that long ago, but a lot sooner than you think it was written. Most of Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm sorry about the dog. She's chasing bugs. I don't know how I keep getting bugs in the house. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. Uh, The North American model, um, the North American model was written in the 80s or so, I believe. Um, Not all that old, and it's not. Yeah, it says 1980s. The model is was is what a lot of states base their conservation laws around or some of their conservation laws around. Obviously, um, in the model, there is no set limit of take for, for game species, but it does kind of help explain uh, reasons for, like, why you have to have a fishing license and a hunting license and um, those types of things. So we'll, we'll dive into that, and uh, we're going to also dive into the, the R3 uh, the recruitment, retention, and reactivation uh, model. So we'll see what we got. 
So in our nation's early years, there were few laws protecting fish and wildlife, and our wildlife resources took a heavy toll. Back in the 20s, um, you had market hunters uh, who took fish and wildlife at will while habitat disappeared under plow and roads, resulting in devastating reductions in wildlife populations. Some species, like the passenger pigeon, which at times, you know, at that time, you, you would see uh, flocks of passenger pigeons that would literally take days to pass. And they're now completely gone. Um, passenger pigeons were taken to the point of no return. Others, like the bison, the white-tailed deer, and wild turkeys were pushed to the edge of extinction. Obviously, we still have those around today. Cause, you know, white-tailed deer and, and turkeys are one of the things we hunt pretty regular. Oh, yeah. So as the tides turned for conservation, important laws were passed, including the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918, the Migratory Bird Hunting and Conservation Stamp Act of 1934, the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act of 1937, and the Sport Fish Restoration Act of 1950. Collectively, these acts laid the foundation for what has inspired the North American model of wildlife conservation. So that right there tells you that the North American model for wildlife conservation isn't what our laws are based off of. It's was written to show what our laws did in a sense. Yeah. This wasn't something that existed in the early 1900s that led to the laws that were put in place. The laws that were put in place in the early 1900s led to the North American model for wildlife conservation. So, so what you're getting at is this is basically the Federalist Papers to the Constitution. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to break it down, maybe some people understand it. Some, yeah, some people. So, across North America, hunting was largely unregulated activity for individuals and commercial until the 1800s. When citizens began to ask whether wildlife populations could continue at healthy levels without check, checks on hunting, the legal framework that has since developed grew out of a set of principles known as the North American Model for Wildlife Conservation. Seven features make the North American model distinct. One, Wildlife is a public resource. Two, markets for game are eliminated. Three, allocation of wildlife by law. Four, wildlife can only be killed for a legitimate purpose. Five, wildlife species are considered an international resource. Six, science is the proper tool for discharge of wildlife policy. And seven, the democracy of hunting. So what really separates North America, and I, it's... North America, meaning the U.S. and Canada, because Mexico, excuse me, kind of follows its own little thing. From Europe, the big separating factor is that wild game is a public resource. Yeah, that's what separated out. Um, and that was a big thing when they were coming up with the laws. And and this was, they wanted to keep it to where the, everybody could enjoy all this. And and the, the, the country as a whole has a lot to offer, and they wanted to keep it that way. And that was from the beginning of time when we first mm-hmm. heard that they wanted to keep it that way. Because you had got people coming from Europe uh, over here to settle the quote-unquote new world. And they wanted to ensure that they lost that. The classes in society are what held people down. So they wanted to lose that. And a lot of hunting was only afforded to the upper class because 
yeah. in Europe still to this day. If you own the land, you own the animals on it, even the wild game. Yeah. So in order to take game without stealing, you had to therefore own land, which took money and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, in the United States, wildlife is considered a public resource, independent of the land or water where wildlife may live. Government at various levels have a role in managing that resource on behalf of all citizens and to assure to ensure the long-term sustainability of wildlife populations. So, with wildlife as a public resource, therein comes the uh, reason you need a fishing or hunting license. You know, we had a conversation about this the other day. We did. <laughs> uh, because you're not <clears throat> so much purchasing the permission to hunt or fish as much as you are purchasing the permission to keep the, you're purchasing the, the animals from the general public. Yeah, you will. Basically, it's like almost like going to the grocery store. You buy meat and essentially you're you're buying the deer that you <clears throat> if you're buying a hunting license or a whitetail tag, for example, you're buying that animal from the general public. So you got to think about this. Think about it this way. In a state where it's legal to hunt bears. Yeah. Um, you buy a bear tag, you go out and you shoot a bear. In that same yeah. state, uh, if you're attacked by a bear and you killed it in self-defense, you are not liable. You're not in trouble for taking that bear because you're killing wildlife for a legitimate purpose which is number four. But you do not get to keep the bear because that bear belongs to the public. Yes. So. Well, um, I know a lot of, there's a few states, I think they're out west, where if you poach, say, a mule deer or something, some a lot of times the, the bigger that animal was, the, the bigger the fine. Not just right. the amount, but the... <clears throat> I, I, I can't remember. I've heard it before. Where they talk about uh, how that animal would have scored. <clears throat> and sometimes that's how they come... They have a formula or something off of that that they come up with the fine. As they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in a lot of states where you're, you're hunting for trophy animals like elk and mule deer and white-tailed deer as well, um, the trophies are worth more money potentially yeah. to the people of the state um, because they have a it, it puts a conservation through hunting is an awesome thing because it puts a a monetary dollar you know value a dollar sign on wildlife it gives them a, 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 a valuable a physical worth right <laughs> yeah, it's not such a big thing here in the U.S. because we aren't an uh, impoverished nation. Yeah, uh, but I it, see. I, I think we can come around to that a l- again a little bit when we talk about the R three. Mm-hmm. But and a lot of this all kind of, kind of, kind of, it can come together in that sense that the wildlife doesn't belong to you; it belongs to everybody. Well, here's the thing. Here's what I was going to get at. <clears throat> 
and I'm not a big uh, African games playing hunter, right? Uh, not something yeah. I have really have any ambition to do. But yeah. I understand the necessity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in, in people who want to get upset about the killing of lions. Yeah. Here's the problem with not killing them. The majority of the time when they go there and they take a lion, they're going to go in and they're going to take a, an older male uh, that may either be causing problems or they're, they're going to use that, to, that, that foreign hunter coming from here or somewhere else in the world to take care of a problem animal and they're going to get money for it. Yeah. So without having br- that market, yeah. those animals lose uh, that, that dollar sign value to the people. Yeah. So now they're just a problem. And they end up getting killed anyways. That's correct. <laughs> and generally in, in more, in, in higher numbers than if, yeah. They would have. If it, if, if it, if it has no value and it's a problem, might as well get rid of it. That's right. They're going to get rid of it because it's killing their sheep, it's killing their kids, their husbands, their wives, whatever. They're causing yeah. an issue. So they're just going to go ahead and get rid of the animal instead of keeping it around because there is no money involved there. Nothing but it's only taking money, it is not a source of income. Yeah. So. Having that in, that value placed there is does a lot. Yeah, and then you know that that also that the, the market you know that ties into number two there. We talked about this a little bit about how um, what Texas does with some of their wild pigs. Go ahead and two while you're at it before you before you do what. Go ahead and give us number two. Okay. All right. Um, Number two, markets for game are eliminated. Before wildlife protection laws were enacted, commercial operations disseminated populations of many species, making it illegal to buy and sell meat and parts of the game and non-game species removed a huge threat to the survival of those species. The market and fur bearers continues as high quality, high reg, highly regulated activity and often managed invasive wildlife. So like, again, talking about Texas where wild hogs are a big nuisance, they come in to have a USDA inspector that inspects the meat and then it can be sold. Um, like the meat eater had a guy on it at his restaurant, they buy a lot of wild hog and they buy, I think exotics. They end up getting sometimes, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I listened, and that's where they get they come up with venison for their restaurant is through exotics. And you know, we talked about that too, because mm-hmm. um, there are certain parts of the not so much the exotic part, but like the no, wild hogs about and the market for game. Yeah, um, but that that needed to be eliminated back then because you had the the market. Well. That was well, off. The well, market hunting destroyed the buffalo population, and and killed off a lot of a lot of uh, migratory birds as well. A lot of waterfowl and right. um, other species were killed for their feathers as well. I can't remember off the top of my head. The, I want to say cormorants, but I don't know if that's right. But uh, I can tell you, cormorants are doing just fine. 
ain't that the truth. I hate those <laughs> with a passion. Uh, with a passion. I don't know. Were cranes involved in that? Yes. Cranes were. They're doing just fine too. Dude, yeah. But you had markets back then that were, you know, especially when the rails cut through Middle America, that allowed for them to go out and just slay buffalo in masses take the hides and then put to the coast to be tanned and sold made that a much more open, readily available market and it decimated the buffalo herd it was estimated at one point the buffalo herd was at its highest point that buffalo were drowning before they were hunted they were they were they were drowning in the millions yeah when the rivers would, would rise and things like that. Cause there's just so many of them. And you had at that point too, with that many dead Buffalo, you had so much left out for scavengers and, and everything else of that nature. Yeah. So um, all that population die off as we all know, and then you have what little is left now and what is huntable for the most part is on is, is privately owned. Yeah. Um, I want to say there's a state that's that's has a huntable population, but I I did some research I think, today and I, I can't remember. I think, um, and I know this because I I read Stephen. Uh, well, listen to even more than read Stephen Ranella wrote a book on the American buffalo, and I mean he goes through a lot of the history and a lot of the talks about the market hunting, um, and kind of goes through how. People, certain people, they they didn't do it to really save the species. They did it kind of to make money, more so than anything. But he hunted them in Alaska. And a little side note, or probably the, I mean, it's in conservation. Um, I was listening to the Ducks Unlimited podcast the other day, and they were talking about, um, I want to say the Prairie Pothole region or the Playa, something like that. And they were saying that how cattle on the landscape kind of mimics what buffalo did and it's pretty interesting i mean if you if you like to hunt waterfowl that's a that's a good podcast to listen to if you're around here in florida it doesn't have a whole lot to do with with florida but it as for the waterfowl population as a whole it's really interesting they go through a lot of studies and things like that but quick little side note there for you so We'll jump into number three, allocation of wildlife by law. Wildlife is a public resource managed by government. As a result, access to wildlife for hunting it is through legal mechanisms such as set hunting seasons, bag limits, license requirements, etc. And that's where we go back into requiring the license and the bag limits. And that's all going mm-hmm. that's going to tie into all that stuff is going to tie into number six, property yeah. for discharge of wildlife. That's why a lot of our dollars go to funding that uh, that research. Why it's important when you see we posted the uh, the stuff about the turkey, the counting the turkey clutches if you see them, reporting that stuff to the yeah. that stuff is important so that they know how the hatch is doing. And I just yeah. saw a turkey egg thief right here a raccoon just come running across the road so (laughs) 
You know, uh, I hate to go back to it, but there's another Ducks Unlimited podcast I was listening to, and in the same, roughly the same areas, they were talking about the nesting grounds, and they have a Facebook page for this particular study that happens every year, and it's called DuckTales, and they have videos. They literally take video cameras that say on 24-7 on these nests, and you'd be amazed at what all, like pretty much everything, eats eggs. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they've even not, it doesn't happen a lot. They even have video of white-tailed deer eating duck eggs. I don't doubt it. I've seen videos of white-tailed deer eating birds. So. Um, but you're right. Everything destroys eggs, eats eggs, destroys nests. But there are some that, that contribute more than others. Oh, yeah. Well, like I said, the, the whitetail was just kind of an interesting thing to me. Like, oh, my goodness, a whitetail deer eating an egg, you know? Well, there you go. It's not, it's not something deer. you think of. Yeah, shoot you, shoot you a deer, save a duck egg, okay? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt down here it's a problem with, with wood duck nests, but, <laughs> but there's snakes and yeah. raccoons and everything else. That's why you shoot them corn thieves, too, man. Yeah. <laughs> Raccoon. So, wildlife can only be killed for legitimate purpose. Wildlife is a shared resource that must not be wasted. The law prohibits killing of wildlife for frivolous reasons. And we can, I mean, we can all pretty much agree on that. We understand how that, yeah, why that's put into effect. And that's how you come into, well, again, like, uh, you know, come back to the buffalo, but that's a very big example of market hunting. And them guys literally, Skin the animal and leave the rest laying there. Take the hide and the tongue. Pretty much. That was it. And that's the rest of it would just rot. Right. It's a shame. Mm-hmm. And then that's, you know, you talk about the you talk market hunting when you talk about ducks. I mean, hey, or, or birds in general. Slave them. But the, I'm not going to lie, man. The, the, mechanism in which the mechanisms in which they implemented that and did that some pretty cool stuff yeah I haven't really looked into how they got the same I mean I thought they always well, the big, shot them with shotguns yeah but a punt gun oh an actual punt gun they were doing it at night with punt guns killing hundreds, hundreds of ducks at a time just killing them off the roost no on the water mm. rafts of ducks off the water Using a punt gun mounted to the front of a P-Row or the front of a small boat. See, I think that's where the, it might be part of the notion where, you know, water swatting is not a good thing. It probably it came from. be where it came from. You know, but I mean, if you're shooting one duck on the water and you're within your limit, and I think we've discussed this on the podcast before, so I don't really need to go into it, I think. But. I say we got time. Um, you know, I mean, we talked about it. I'm pretty sure we discussed it on the podcast. But you know, if you get got a duck on the water, you could probably take your time a little bit better and make a better shot on the water than you could if the duck was flying. It is, is you know, uh, and that's just a theory. That's just a uh, gets into what you, what you as a person and ethical. No, the, the other thing is, you know, uh, Doctor Duck had gone into it. and He said like. I'm not against shooting a duck on the water. I, if I 
I've done my job. I've fooled that bird, and I got him landing in the decoys. That's what I was about to you say. Know, true. If we got him, you in- fooled the duck. Got him in the decoys. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm I'm not sitting there trying to call in ducks and waiting for him to sit on the water. No. To shoot them. Uh, but if by chance they catch us off guard and one ends up in the decoys. Oh yeah. Or wood duck swims in. Yeah. Yep. But Coot messes up and comes too close. That that Coot <laughs> get it. I I really can't wait to take my boy out shooting and more hens in the early season when he gets old enough. He's gonna love he he'll love that. And there's really hardly yeah. any other way to dang shoot more hens. They they don't ever fly until it's until you start shooting anyway. Yeah. Uh, See, my, when I get my book finished, it's going to be great for that. It's going to be fun. Because all you get, all I got to do is just lift up, and then we cease power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, wildlife species are considered an international resource. Some species, such as migratory birds, cross national boundaries. Treaties, such as Migratory Bird Treaty and sites, recognize a shared responsibility to manage these species across national boundaries. And that comes into big play, especially with birds, because you've got, if we didn't have those in effect, like the Migratory Bird Treaty, they, yeah. and, and this kind of happens in Mexico. I was going to ask you about that, if Mexico, how involved Mexico is in that. So a lot of birds winter in Mexico. I haven't dug deep into the Migratory Bird Treaty, and I that's part of my research for next week and i want to do a podcast on uh just some of those like the migratory bird act migratory bird treaty and things that will do a whole episode on that but the the lacy act i I believe ties into uh market hunting the lacy act it does and that'll be part of it too uh but we'll, we'll dive into that and but mexico doesn't have the has very liberal limits, and they let you just go down there and go to town. Well, same thing with, like, Argentina. Right. I mean, I, I know anybody that's – most people know if, you, if you're a big dove hunter, Argentina hunt is on your well, bucket list because you can just go down there and have here's at the it. Difference, here's the difference, though, is that when you go to Argentina and you dove hunt, you're shooting black-winged dove. And going to Argentina yeah. and shooting black winged doves and just having at it is like going on a hog hunt in Texas. Yeah. It's the same thing. Black winged dove in Argentina are like locusts. Yeah. Uh, that's why they kill so many. It's not because they're trying to, well, they are essentially trying to wipe them out. But it's the same, yeah. same reason we have conservation hunts for snow geese. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, stuff like that because the tundra can only hold so many, which is where they, you know, they spend that. This, and That's then, almost a bucket list hunt for me. Is a good snow geese hunt with, yeah. yeah, where you can take the plugs out and put an extended tube on there. It would be fun. I think, I think that'd be really fun, especially to do on, when I get a dog. Yeah, because that dog get a lot of retrieves. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. I, I I would love to do it too. It's definitely a bucket list of things to do. Yeah. Uh, and in reality, I mean, duck hunts really aren't that expensive. Uh, half the no, time not really. Getting there, that's, that's the expensive part. Oh, yeah. You know, getting off work for them and things like that. Right. We'll get there one of these days, right? Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I got vac- I got paid vacation time now. I just I'm not really in a position to be able to take it a lot. <laughs> so we already discussed science as a proper tool for discharge wildlife policy. In order to manage wildlife as a shared resource fairly, objectively, and knowledgeably, decisions must be based on sound science, such as manual an waterfowl population surveys and the work of professional wildlife biologists. And that's what we were talking about a minute ago. Where a little, like, another little side note on that, and it has a lot to do with this topic. They actually skipped the waterfowl survey this year due to the, the coronavirus. Really? Yes, they did. Wow. They skipped it. The, the spring survey, they did not do it. I wonder how that's going to affect if you If you are interested, again, go on the Ducks Unlimited podcast, and they do, like, they, they, they go in depth in it. Wow. And I, I feel like we're going to feel that. Uh, we won't probably won't feel it much this season, but I don't think so. Coming the 20, 2021, 22 season, 22, 23, 23, 24 seasons are going to feel that missing, skipping that. Yeah. I mean, well, they've, they've had, they've gone back and cause they, they even go through kind of the history of it a little bit. And they talk about a lot that the earlier surveys really weren't that accurate. Um, from when they started doing it, and they've gotten a lot more accurate now. And uh, they get really go into a lot of detail. Like I said, the ducks. If you're if you're a waterfowl hunter, the Ducks Unlimited podcast is a very good podcast to listen to. Like I said, I, that's where I get a lot of. The, I'm getting a lot of this information is from Ducks Unlimited. So I listen to that podcast. Um, I have to check that out. I did yeah. not look that one yet. But yeah, they 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 skipped the the, the survey this this the spring survey. Uh, I'm not. I don't think it's nationwide, but a lot of states do do a winter survey. Okay. Well, I was and southern states probably do a winter survey. We have winter here in Florida, and uh, we're a big stop off going to places like Argentina and and South America. Um, a lot of. Even birds that winter, like in the Caribbean, were a stop off. Mm-hmm. Here as well, there's birds that winter in, in we had Cuba flight, in the Caribbean. We had flights so big last year leaving the Keys, they were getting picked up on Doppler radar. <laughs> I think that was teal. Did they say that was teal? I'm not sure. I don't remember. But if it was teal, I sure as heck didn't see them anywhere. They must have. <laughs> We've seen, a, we've seen a few, but we didn't see that many. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like we've seen them like, oh, yeah, they're on the other side of the lake over there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so the democracy of hunting, and we talked about this a minute ago. In keeping with uh, democratic principles, government allocates access to wildlife without regard for wealth, prestige, or land ownership. And that goes back to the model, the European model. Um where you own what's on your land. And, you know, who would be a great person to have on here to talk about how that European model works, and I'll have to get him on here, would be Daniel. Yeah. Uh, Daniel's a shared friend of ours that hunted with us in Georgia, but he's done a lot of hunting uh, in Germany and and throughout Europe uh, when he was stationed there. And he's still here this day do a lot of hunting over there. Hmm. But his 
the way they do things is very different than the way we do oh, yeah. it. So, but that's, I mean, that's why that's why you don't see a lot of stuff about hunting in European in in European countries because they don't. The general public doesn't really do it because they can't. Right. I always thought it was a firearms thing. I never, you know, growing up before. It's very expensive to hunt in Europe. Yeah. Not only on the firearms side, but just on the hunting side, period. Oh, yeah. Not a cheap thing to do. So, and here, I mean, shoot, you you could do it pretty cheap. If you went. If you went to the point, say you hunted here in Florida, which, man, I'm excited talking about this now because we're about to find out here in the next two weeks uh, whether we drew the sandbar hunt. Yeah. Uh, and uh, We'll find that out, and I put in for a bunch of other muzzleloader and rifle hunts. For deer throughout the state, some some special opportunity hog hunts. Uh, so if you have if you guys haven't already done that and you still want to do it, it's open till the fifteenth of this month, I believe. For sandbar, for all of it, for yeah. all of it. I know I'm I'm waiting. I'm gonna put in. I gotta wait till September. Did you put? I in haven't for- seen. I haven't. Uh, I've been having a hard time finding. Um, the the WMA brochure from Merritt Island, as far as like the the rules for that WMA. Oh, it's not really a WMA; it's a refuge for that refuge. As far as um, well, I hadn't I hadn't been able to pull up the actual uh, brochure, and I think it's just figuring out the the way they do it in the website now. But I'm planning on putting in for Merritt Island and probably uh, T.M. Godwin to hunt the Felsmere Marsh. Did you put any further any other uh, deer hunts or hog hunts for the fall? Uh, sandbar, that was it. You didn't put in. I put in for Rock Springs Run. I put in for Seminole Forest, Seminole Forest Lake Tracy Unit, Lake George, Lake Woodruff. Yeah. Uh, oh, you put it. You put in for archery to hunt those. No, muzzleloader and, <clears throat> and a general gun. Okay, I'm, I'm probably gonna put in for water. I might put in for waterfowl for Lake Woodruff. But uh, I didn't see that. I mean, I've lived in Florida for. I lived in. I, I've lived in Florida for 22 of my 20, 29 years. Now, yeah. about and. uh I have never harvested a deer in the state of Florida. Yeah. I have hunted Florida. Uh, I hunted Florida in archery quite religiously uh, in my younger days um, because I could get off of work and drive to the forest, which wasn't far from where we are now. Yeah. And I'm even closer than you are. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I was hunting up the moons. Yeah. Uh, up there. And I had a couple couple of close runs with some nice bucks but never got the opportunity and then i had some uh running dogs in the forest i had i I had some near misses of opportunity not of rifle shot on some good bucks i know my cousins have killed and the guy that they 
run dogs with. They've killed some pretty some decent. I mean, for for where they're at, the area, they kill some good bucks. Yeah. For the, for the area, I mean, I've I don't know if I've ever seen not in that I know of seen some really good bucks ever come out of Ocala, but I've seen some for the area some good bucks. It's really rare that a, a nice buck comes out of there. Right. But I know that I've got pictures of some they killed a pretty good deer. Let's talk about recruitment, retention, and reactivation. Yeah. Uh, according to the Wildlife Management Institute and the Council to Advance Hunting and Shooting Sports, hunters and shooters provide 80% of the funding for all wildlife species. They've been the primary source of funding for wildlife conservation since 1937 through license fees and excise tax on sporting goods, which is made possible through the hunting and sporting arms industry through the Pittman-Robertson and Dingle-Johnson Act, which we talked about. I'll say, by the way, if you haven't listened, yeah, go back yeah. and listen to that podcast. That was a great, great episode. Um, since that time, recognition of the billions of dollars that hunters and shooters have generated for wildlife conservation associated habitat. Concerned partners like state game agencies, conservation and shooting sports organizations, and hunting and shooting sports industries have been invested heavily in R3. Their goal, of course, has been to reverse the decline in, popu- in participation and, and simultaneously increase the funding available for conservation. However, participation has been declining since the 1980s, resulting in fewer dollars for conservation in spite of sportsmen's many efforts to add participants. In 2009, WMI research documented there were more than 300 programs being conducted across the United States by agencies and conservation organizations that were additional programs being conducted by trade and industry organizations. Past R3 programs have focused mostly on introductory to, or trial events, many aimed at youth or of, of traditional audiences. Those who were, in many cases, already likely to be mentored as hunters or shooters. Research notes there has been little done to recruit from new demographics and move interest parties into becoming participants. So what we're facing now with the R3 program is it a lot of programs designed to recruit new hunters into the the uh, sport outdoors men and women they're mainly recruiting to the the people that were already likely going to be hunters or fishermen already because you think about it you see uh like the kids fishing event at bass pro shop where they set up a little thing like that that's at a place that already panders to the outdoors population granted Bass Pro Shops is generally in a place uh, of tourists. Like here in Florida, it's right down on I Drive. Well, I mean, let's talk about some of the other locations. Not only that one, but Daytona. Right. Uh, when I was in when I was in Kentucky, it was right there in the Opryland Mall in Nashville. Yeah. Uh, and down in Savannah at the big mall. When I was in Georgia, that those were the Bass Pro Shops were at. They're in those big malls. So that stuff is there are in Kansas well, not drawn into well, it. Best shop? I'm trying to remember. Oh, oh it, out there, didn't you? What's that? Cabela's in Kansas. Um I, I think it went to Cabela's more than Bass Pro Shop. No, that was no, that was Bass Pro Shop. They were both right there. 
Um, they were, weren't very far from each other, but it was in Kansas City. Actually, I think it might have been on the Missouri side. To be honest with you, but I mean, same thing. It's you know, it wasn't that far from the Speedway, from Kansas City Speedway, and not a rural area. But the issue draws from the fact that there are there there these things they set up are pandering to a populace that was already likely to be and out contribute to outdoors, you know, contribute to the conservation through the ways they're trying to draw that funding in anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, the one part, I think the one part of that R3 that is probably the most reasonable is the reactivation part of it. I'm one of the, I've been reactivated technically. I mean, I, for a long time, I really, I didn't hunt that much. I think, let me see. I mean, I've, I've, there's been years that I bought a hunting license and didn't hunt. And then, I mean, there's also been years where I didn't buy a hunting license at all. So I'm like, well, I just, I don't have the time or the money right now to do it. That's what I thought. Right. You know. But I really didn't have the time. The only thing that I really didn't have the time for was to go out and actually scout a place on my own, like in the forest, and find a place to put a stand and that sort of thing. Right. And then we, we, the thing we're facing now is that we have a the, – the R3 program, in my personal opinion, is, is, uh, uh, is based on a left and a right. Yeah. Um, where we be focused more on a left, right, and a middle. With the left, right, and middle, you have – your general hunting population on the right, your anti-hunting population on the left, and your your middle ground is where people stand and say, well, I don't hunt, but I'm not against hunting. And we need to focus more on either pulling people from the middle to, to contribute to outdoors, whether they hunt or whether they, they join some of these... Uh, non-for-profit groups like Ducks Unlimited that are contributing funds uh, to the outdoors community to keep the land in place and whatnot. Um, Instead of trying to pull people from the left who are anti and bringing them all the way to the right, we need to focus on bringing people from the left to the middle and from the middle to the right. Um, but that goes into that you have a that's the difference you're looking at the difference in definition of conservation versus preservation conservation Mm -hmm. would mean keeping it for use later and preservation would mean keeping it to be never never to be touched yeah I think that's where a lot of this gets confused as people having that keeping it to never be touched thing. We want to keep it to where we can still do the things we love and still have the pop wildlife population at sustainable point. And right. 
that's where we need to recruit, like you said, those people in the middle. They aren't against hunting. Maybe a lot of them aren't against it, but they've never done it. And, you know, maybe it's something you can show them, hey, this is, this is actually a, a, a really good time, that it's not just about, you know, taking game. It is not like, at all about killing animals. No. A, a, a lot of it's about the time outdoors, the people you're with, and and that sort of thing. And not just killing, taking animals. I mean, that's that's kind of like the reward at the end. That's that's like that's like the candy, <laughs> you know, the sprinkles on top of the ice cream. <laughs> right. And I is, is that I enjoy. I think of of the most because hunting season in reality runs from September to January. Yeah. That's it. You're running from month nine to month one. So you got about a third of the year in most places. Yeah. That's that's dedicated to hunting season. And that's ducks. That's deer. That's the majority of, of huntable game, right? Because mm-hmm. that takes place outside of the the uh, for lack of better words, the calving season. Yeah. When they're <clears throat> when they're raising young, it's the fawning period for deer, right? Yeah, it's interesting enough. I know you've listened to it too, or was listening to it. The fawning period in South Florida is like February. Yes, that's like I mean that's Florida winter. Well, that has pretty to, much. Well, that has to do more in South Florida with the dry season. Yeah, versus the the time of year because yeah. a lot of the fawning season has to do with the climate of which when the fawns are born mm-hmm. milder climate of the year in the springtime where it's not as cold and you don't have fawns dying because they freeze to death yeah in south florida you they have to do it the deer have to do it different because they have to have them born in that dry season so that they don't drown yeah or again like we talked about the you know predators mm-hmm. oh they didn't they didn't necessarily like directly relate predators to that fawning period being during that time of year, but it's kind of like a happy coincidence is what they could actually say about it. Right. Hmm. And we have, we have, and it's not so much too, is I think we've, we've, uh, we've kind of lost sight of the fact in the R3 program that we need to bring when you talk about uh, the recruitment side of things, you as a hunter, and I know I'm guilty of this as well. I think about recruiting someone to who doesn't hunt to hunt. Yeah. Well, at the same time, I could generate revenue as well for conservation by taking someone who doesn't hunt and recruiting them to enjoy shooting sports. Yeah. Where there is no game taken whatsoever. Uh, yeah. Whether it be you want to get into long range shooting, three gun, trap and skeet, um, archery, anything of that nature. And those things in and of themselves can be very therapeutic, especially mm-hmm. archery. Archery, I would say archery and trap and skeet would be one of the most therapeutic things. I love to go out there and just destroy a box of clays. Oh, it's a good time. That's a dang good time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so 
we've we've I think we've got too caught up in trying to pull people from that left side all the way over to the right, or we could pull into the middle and still contribute dollars to conservation because that Pittman Robertson Act is still pulling funds from bullets, guns, and then you had the Dingle Johnson pulling it from fishing rods, from kayaks, from boats. Yeah. You know, there's so many different facets of yeah that excise tax is pulling from that we don't necessarily have to bring people to hunt and fish unless you need to bring people into outdoor recreation. Yeah, I mean, well, I think as far as, you know, pulling somebody into that, like you said, maybe shooting is a good way in general, and I think fishing is another good way, because you don't actually have to kill that animal. No. You know, you can always, you know, practice catch and release, and for somebody like that, that's that might be a good way to to bring them into it, and, you know is fishing because like i said you can release the fish right yeah you, you know you're not releasing that wood duck you just shot out there you know no you, you are not but it's <laughs> hard to sit there in the same in the same conservation in the same hand and tell someone who is who's anti-hunting the hunting is conservation because it's not yeah and and another thing on that you know um photography yes there's um there's a lot of people that buy camouflage and to go out and uh, photograph wildlife and waterfowl and stuff like that. Right. So, I mean, when you buy that camouflage, again, you're paying that excise tax. Right. Um, so, we've, we've, I think we've kind of, over the years, like I said, it's been, it's been blurred. You, you, we've kind of have, starting to feel like we have to get hunters we have to get people hunting and fishing whereas we can find that middle ground and pull people in those outdoor sports pick people yeah. outside we're talking about you know hunting is not conservation hunting is is you're you're consuming a resource as a hunter yeah. uh, you, because there's no saving what you take for later but yeah. you're so <clears throat> it's hard to sit there in a group of people you don't know and and we've kind of been conditioned to tell people that hunting is conservation. Mm-hmm. And when we're challenged with that, but you killed the deer, well, you're right. So hunting is not necessarily conservation. We have to work as a, as a collective group to show people what we are doing for conservation. And that means getting out, cleaning up trails, volunteering yeah. your time, improving habitat for wildlife, showing up at meetings, uh, to ensure that certain things aren't put into place yeah. to take care. You know, we have to be there. We have to give that face to the outdoorsmen and women. Um, I mean, it, it, face to the public. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the same time and here, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Just done. No, you're, <laughs> we have to show that we care further than just to take as a resource. Yeah. Which, Majority of us do. I would say an overwhelming ninety nine nine point nine percent cares mo- way more about the environment in which the resource lives in than consuming the resource. Because I get a lot of joy out of just being in the woods. Yeah, I get that dirt therapy. Getting yeah. up there, I will go and work. <laughs> I will literally pay to work in the South Georgia summer heat. <laughs> Because I like doing it. Yeah. Well, 
in that sense, yeah. I mean, because I mean, we uh, we talked about it there um, on our lease. I'm like, yeah, we're working, but at the same time, I'm enjoying this. You know, it's dirt. Yeah, and the thing I was gonna say when you talked about you know actually taking the animal, well, like here in Ford is a good example of maybe hunting actually being conservation is predator hunting and because you know coyotes and bobcats and things they prey on game animals so when you you don't necessarily need to eliminate that like coyotes or whatever off the landscape but keep that population in check you know what i'm saying and then at the same time but at the same time it's still you that can be approached as a live and let live and because at the same time, but nature's you know, very cruel. Yeah. At the same time, like, well, here in Florida, we have, you know, bears getting into people's trash cans all the time. Now, I will say, you know, part of that is we have moved on to the bear's landscape. Absolutely. That's part of it. But we can also, I think, do things to, to mitigate that some. And I'm like I said, I don't mean an all out, you know, Let's go kill all the bears. That's not what I'm getting at at all. So, but I'll, I'll give you this and something interesting to bring up now that you talk about us moving onto the bears' landscape. And we've done this all over the U.S. where we moved into the wild animals' habitat. <clears throat> and that's why we have these uh, negative interactions the majority yeah. of the times because they were there first. We moved in with our houses and our buildings and everything else. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we're working on a new t-shirt design for the Unpressure Outdoors. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. To, to talk about, to, to uh, to express moving in onto the, the animal's landscape. Uh, it, it'll be pretty neat when it's, when it's finished up. I got to get with the, uh, the peacemakers and, and see what they've come up with. I've given them my ideas and uh, we'll see what they've got. What the, I said, take this. This is what I want. Run with it. We'll see what we got. So All right. that should be coming out here shortly and we'll get some of those t-shirts circulating around. We've got to get back on back in touch now that this coronavirus stuff is winding down and we're coming back into coming to phase two here in Florida on this weekend. Yesterday they opened up bars and I thought it was in like phase three. Doors. No, they opened up full phase two. Oh, okay. They did like a soft phase two or something. They did. Uh, so now bars are open back up uh, to limited capacity, movie theaters, bowling alleys, all limited capacity again. And um, your restaurants are now, I think, are full capacity outdoor seating. I think uh, about the only thing I really missed was restaurants, you know. And, and that not so much. Uh, but yeah, my life wasn't centered around going out in the first place. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it's not like I, you know, was all that worried about going out to eat. <laughs> the, the activities that my life was more centered around. Were uh, essential activities. I was more worried about boat ramps being closed. <laughs> but they're all back open now. Yeah, even um, the forest is back open. Oh, I was so mad about that the other day, that was a couple of weeks ago. 
drove all the way up to the forest, and then there was a sign on the tree, and every every truck that had a uh, a boat trailer on it was had a ticket. But that's all. Hopefully, Dude, all this is behind us now, getting that way. We gotta we've got to make it a point as outdoors men and women to make a difference for conservation, not just say we are conservation to truly do something. Yeah. And that's as little, that's as simple as literally going out and devoting a weekend of your time or a day of your time on the weekend to go out and picking up trash in your local national forest or state park or whatever you, you, you're going to do. Yeah. Um, it's not, I mean, even, even, I mean, like you're at the boat ramp and you see some trash on the ground, pick it up. Yeah. Pick it up. You know, I mean, you're out duck hunting and you see some shells that was floating by. You know, I'm not saying somebody might have left them there on purpose. You know, maybe they just couldn't find them. And pick it up, you know. I saw a thing that, that the idea was there, but it bothered me that it was an idea in the first place. And some people were talking about uh, on one of our local waterfowl pages here in Florida about <clears throat> making uh, biodegradable shotgun shells. Hmm. And I don't, I mean, I understand it, but at the same time, I don't agree with it. Just pick up your trash. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's easy to lose track of how much you shot, and sometimes it's, you, you just can't find them. Right. But I mean, you, you make an effort to pick it up. You make the most effort you can. You make the, the same amount of effort to find your trash as you would to find your game. And... I'd say, you know, as you would, you know, picking up decoys. You want to make sure you got all your decoys. Right. Why not take an extra look, make sure you got all your shells, your holes. So, well, we're, we're winding it down, and we've come up now. We're, we're getting in the map of this now. We, we've got two episodes now with me and you. They're over an hour. Yeah. So, uh, under pressure outdoors tip of the week. Right now in the state we're in, I would say um, make that active contribution to con- conservation. Yeah, out there, pick up trash. If you ha- if you can make if if you don't have the time to make that uh, physical in person contribution by going there and picking up trash, donate to one of these these uh, many non for profits or it, it's simple as that go and if you don't want to do that even if you don't duck hunt buy a duck stamp yeah um, i mean those wetlands benefit more than just ducks oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely and you can uh you can use it to mail a letter it's an expensive stamp it's still a stamp shoot if nothing else uh you know start your collection it's not the most expensive stamp I collect. You know, I usually, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I usually end up buying more than one duck stamp every year. And I'm going to get a habit of that. Uh, and only you know what? Because and you have one. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you, I have that one that, that way I have one that I can keep with me when I'm hunting. And then I have one. I actually have a picture frame on my wall that I must that I started putting my duck stamps in. Right. You know, and I got a picture of me holding my wood holding the wood duck and 
and a merganser, and then I have, you know, two of my duck stamps in it. So, I'm starting, starting that collection. I mean, I've, I've bought more than two, and I mean, I mean, more than two in a, in, for more than two years, I've bought, you know, duck stamps, but those are the two yeah. that I decided to keep. But, but I, have, I haven't hung on to them at all. Yeah, well, I mean, I, this is, I've ended up buying more than one last year for that reason. And I'll probably do the same this year. Actually, I was supposed to get, already have one for this year. I, I don't know if I need to get a hold of them. It's probably too late now, but I mean, it's, what, like 25 bucks. So I really don't mind. And that money goes to a good place, so. Absolutely. What do you but got? My tip of the week is ask. As far as, you know, if you're talking to somebody, you end up, you know, the conversation comes, is that, hey, you know, if you ever want to go with me, you let me know. You can leave it at that. Or, I mean, that's hunting, fishing, whatever. You know, like I said, you're at work talking to the guys, oh, yeah, I'm going hunting this weekend. If the guy sounds a little bit interested, you're like, you know, if you ever want to go, let me know. That kind of thing. So, ask. You know what? That's a really good. Tip. Don't don't wait for somebody to ask you. You ask them. And that's a that's a really and to add to that, you know, social media being as prevalent as it is, let's let's think about um, how the things we post. Yeah. Um, the manner in which we post photos of our of our game. I'm not saying don't post photos of what you kill because I'm not going to stop doing it. Yeah. I've always been conscious about uh, cleaning up blood, um, tucking in tongues of deer because it's just part of death. It happens, you know, trying to make the deer look as natural as possible. Yeah. uh, In that photograph, it looks better for the photograph. It's more respectful to the animal. And there are people out there that don't want to see that. Yeah, you're gonna do by by, you know, posting that photo of a, a deer hanging there with the guts hanging out, is uh is is turning people off to the whole idea of it. Yeah. So, if you if if if, if that's the photos you want to take, that's fine. I understand it. Um, but let's let's keep those as as personal memories. Yeah. So. I mean, uh, as far as, you know, taking pictures, real quick, I know we're coming to the end here, but no, you're as far fine. as taking pictures, I would definitely say don't stop. No, most absolutely. of the time, if you harvested that animal, you probably put in a lot of work. Be proud of it, you know? Absolutely not. And I, I would say we need, to, we need to do a better part of posting more, more pictures of, of what we do more than just, just posting animals. Yeah. Um. Let's see those sunrises, those sunsets. Let's see those sweaty guys hanging out after doing all that work. The sweaty, you know, after doing all the work to improve the habitat. Let's see that giant bag of trash you just collected. Let's see uh, the the memories you're making, not just post, in the taking of animals. Post more than just the harvest. Right. Post, post. Yeah. Post the journey, right? Because it's, it's, it's so much more than just the harvest. Oh yeah. And I know that. I mean, I take those photos. 
Mm-hmm. Because to me, those are memories. Most definitely. But I don't always post those photos. and Maybe I need to get better about that, too. Yeah. Um, I like taking photos of my kids when we're out there working. They have a good time, even though they're not doing much work. <laughs> Probably that's why they're having such a good time. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're having a good time, too. Absolutely. We're usually, we're usually cutting up a little bit while we work. Uh, but you reap what you sow. Yeah. So I think we're, we're doing a bad part. We, we constantly want to tell people uh, that are not in the community that it's more about, it's, it's not just about killing. It's, it's, it's about so much more than that. Yeah. But we do a very bad job of showing that it's so much more than that. You would think um, the other thing we we do have, and I see this a lot. I mean, I see a lot of it on these duck hunting pages. Unless you're talking about a dog. Everybody's always willing to answer your questions about training a duck dog. But when it comes to actually knowing, uh, like, you know, places to scout. And I mean, you know, you don't have to give somebody your honey hole away, but tell them, hey man, look for this, look for that maybe, and give them a lake. It doesn't, it can be your B or C spot. You know, that where that is, it's gonna be like, hey, look around here. You know what I mean? Give them, give them some information instead of just holding that to your chest. It's, it comes off, it's off putting to new hunters that are trying to learn. And today with social media, it's a lot different than it was when these guys were coming up and they didn't have that. They did have to go out and learn it on their own. Right. You know? But a lot of those guys had fathers and stuff that took them out and showed them that stuff. A lot of people now don't have that. So when some, well, if you know an answer, if you can answer somebody's question on Facebook or whatever, that they're having a hard time trying to get on some ducks, throw them a bone. It's all, I mean, you don't have to give them everything. But give them enough where they can learn something from it. Provide the spark. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, because that that become that's that's the recruitment side. You literally have someone there who is who is wanting to get into that sport, and and a lot of people I, I've seen it too are, are just yeah. they're not fanning the flame. They're they're trying they're they're doing a better part of extinguishing it. It's it's more selfish than than anything. And I, I can mean, understand. And I can understand that because we seem we seem to think we have a lot of people in our public lands, um, and in here in the southeast we do, and that the majority of that is because we just don't have a lot of public lands. But here in yeah. Florida, we are we are we have the most public lands of any state in the southeast, and we're blessed to have that here in Florida, especially as far as wetlands go. Yes. Uh, so, and I. You don't even have to give somebody a spot. Like I said, you can tell find them. about any lake. You just need to. They, there are a lot of people are wanting to know what to look for, yeah. when they should be looking, how they should be scouting. Yeah, and I can understand because I've been there. Oh yeah, I mean, there was a lot of times where, like, when I joined these waterfowl pages, I was hoping to learn some of that stuff. And that's and, why I went out. You know, and that's why I did the, the podcast last week. I chose to do by myself. I didn't yeah. have anybody else forward with me. Uh, just by circumstance, but and our big thing here that we trying to convey is that we want people to we, we want to give you that understanding. Yeah, right. We want you to know what you're looking for, 
how to find that deer, how to find those ducks. Yeah. I'm going to give mean, you, give you those universal tips that are going to work across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously going to vary a little bit from place to place, but there's not much you can do about that. Yeah. You're hunting the same spot I am. It's not going to be the same, but the principles are the same. Yeah. So absolutely. And that goes back into the recruitment side of things. I think we've lost touch with that. Yeah. Uh, so media gives the false idea that there's a lot of people, a lot of people killing a lot of ducks. Well, the thing with that too, or a, a lot of, a lot of people are having success in their hunting adventures. Well, nobody yeah. goes on social media and says, man, you know what? I didn't see anything today. Yeah. But that's the majority of it. That happens a lot more than, than the, the, those days where everybody's shooting limits, you know? Oh, absolutely. Especially in waterfowl, I believe. Because <laughs> like the, you can go out one day and scout and the ducks, they're right there. And then the next day, they're on the other side of the lake. Been there, done that. More than once. But we'll get there. Yeah. What we have I to mean, work as a group. Uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully this year I can get my boat done before duck season. So I'm gonna try to be on some scouting missions. Well, we'll see. So. Until next week, this has been another episode of the Unpressure Outdoors podcast. You guys hop on wherever you listen to us. If you can give us a five-star review, if you can review us there, give us a review. If not, do what you can. Get over to the Apple podcast. Give us a review there. That helps us compete with other podcasts, brings us up further in the in the, in the the queue. When you go and you search for those outdoor-related podcasts, that's going to put us up there for, for more people to listen to us. Uh, we don't do this to make millions. We actually make zero dollars. Uh, the majority of what we've got has, has come out of my pocket. Yeah. But I do it because I love it. I, we I, don't even I make money off the t-shirts. We don't. The only people that makes money off the t-shirts is the peacemakers. That's it. I actually pay for t-shirts from the peacemakers. I don't mm-hmm. get them for free. I pay the same price y'all did. Uh, but that's okay. I don't mind doing that. I'm supporting small business. So I'm supporting their small business. They support us. We're having a good time doing it. And I'm doing this because I love doing it, like I said before. It's not because of any other reason other than I want to get this out there. I want people to have this information. And this is a platform in which I can give it. So that's what it's about for us. But if you, you guys want to have some – you got some topics you want to hear us talk about, you can contact us via Facebook or Instagram or under pressure outdoors at Gmail uh, and let us know what you think. Until next week.